Lee Arnold, welcoming you to Country Conversations. In the world of show business, there are a handful of celebrities that are known to the public by their first name, like Madonna, Cher, and in the world of country music, Loretta, Reba, Winona, and our guest today, Dolly. But before we start this conversation, here are a few words from our sponsor. Country Music Conversations with Lee Arnold's podcast is made possible by our sponsor, MarketSmith, Inc., the digital media agency that's been growing brands like Toomey, Shark Ninja, New Jersey Lottery, PSE&G, Blue Mercury Cosmetics, and Dick Sporting Goods. You know what makes this agency so good at what they do? Because simply being a marketing agency is no longer enough. Solution-based, problem-solving, and ever-evolving, they create enduring value for DTC and B2B brands by opening up and growing marketing channels. Their patented AI offerings, informed by human intelligence, allow them to act with agility and intellect. I was speaking with the CEO not too long ago, and she was saying they take on clients who know who they are, who want to grow, and clients that know what they want. These big brands choose MarketSmith because they want to merge with a partner who'll make them exceptional and an agency that will grow their revenue. Digital marketing is not easy, but MarketSmith Inc. knows when to make the media dollars work hard for their clients. You have a brand you want to grow? Well, contact MarketSmith.com and tell them Lee Arnold sent you. Dolly Parton, singer, songwriter, actress, philanthropist, businesswoman, and humanitarian. Dolly had success early in her career, writing hit songs for other singers. But in 1967, her album debut of Hello, I'm Dolly was the beginning of a booming recording career, both as a solo artist and duet partner with Porter Wagner. In the 1990s, her albums weren't selling as well, but in the new millennium, she achieved commercial success once again. To date, she has sold more than 100 million records worldwide. What a tremendous accomplishment. She's been honored with gold, platinum, and multi-platinum awards. She's had 25 number one hits on the Billboard country charts, and no less than 44 career top 10 country albums and 110 career-charted singles over the past 40 years. Dolly has written more than 3,000 songs, including I Will Always Love You, Jolene, Coat of Many Colors, and 9 to 5. She starred in many profitable movies, like 9 to 5, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, Rhinestone, Steel Magnolias, Great Talk, and Joyful Noise. Add to that the list of 11 Grammy Awards, even a Lifetime Achievement Award, 10 CMA Awards, and is one of only seven female artists to win the CMA's Entertainer of the Year Award. But wait, there's more. Five Academy of Country Music Awards, also including Entertainer of the Year, four People's Choice Awards, and three American Music Awards. In 1999, Dolly was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. 
This year, she was nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but initially declined the nomination. But then she had second thoughts and finally accepted and was inducted this past November 5th. Dolly oversees and is actively involved in a few business ventures which include the Dollywood Company, which manages several entertainment venues, including the Dollywood Theme Park and a few dinner theater venues. She's created many charitable and philanthropic organizations, chief among which is the Dollywood Foundation, which manages a few projects to bring education and poverty relief to East Tennessee. Since my early days in country radio, I've had the pleasure and good fortune to interview Dolly on several occasions since the late 60s. You know the expression, what you see is what you get? (laughs) Well, that's Dolly, a vivacious, intelligent, warm, and personable icon who puts you at ease with her sweet and lovable personality. This conversation took place in 1991 in Los Angeles. We discussed her latest album, Eagle When She Flies, and we talked about her movies, awards, fans, her hit records, and much more. Now, here's that conversation with Dolly. Well, we're not in Dollywood, but I'm in Hollywood, but I'm with Dolly. It's good to catch up with you again, Dolly. Well, it's always good to see you, and I know I am hard to catch. Oh, you, boy. You're the, about the only person I know can run almost as fast That's, as me. Well, almost. <laughs> <laughs> a lot older, but I'm trying. You're the elusive butterfly. I'll tell you, last time I think I think we caught each other was back in New York when uh, about a year or so ago. Yeah. Yeah. Great things have happened since then. Right well, now, as we speak, out of the chute. Your brand new album, Eagle When She Flies, just out three weeks, already number one. That's pretty heady stuff. And it's doing real well, even on the pop charts, which we weren't promoting it on the pop charts at all. I'm very excited about it. It looks like the biggest record I've had since possibly the Here You Come Again album. It's the biggest country album I've had in many, many years, if uh, not ever. So uh, it's it's doing good. I'm really excited. And the first single... Uh, was the song my baby brother wrote so we're kind of keeping it all in the family and i wrote a lot of the songs on the album so that makes you, it twice you wrote special. actually nine out of the 11 didn't you eight or nine eight yeah. eight or nine I think it was eight of, yeah, yeah floyd your brother wrote uh, the first big hit number one hit with you and ricky van shelton your duet collaboration on rockin years now that that's a song if memory serves me correct that was never released that you cut with George Jones. You are so right about that. In fact, when uh, I did cut this with George, I'd always wanted to sing with George. He's about my favorite of all the male singers. The old I'd always wanted to sing with him, and he was on uh, CBS Records right. at that time. And then his contract fell through or something happened, and uh, he left the label. So, of course, they didn't want to release it with us, but mm-hmm. they all loved the song. I loved the song. My brother needed the money, and so and the song was too good to keep. So I called George uh, and asked him if he would mind if I recorded it with someone else. They wanted to use someone else on the label, and Ricky Van Shelton was being produced at that time by um, Steve Buckingham, mm-hmm. who is co-producer on my album. So Steve suggested him, and I asked George if uh, he would mind. He said, well, I hate to do it because I want it to come out, but I reckon you can, <laughs> providing someday, somewhere, we'll get to sing one. So I, uh, it was great. I have a great demo or a great record of my version with George, which I love, and then the one that we 
week, of course, did great. So I felt very fortunate to have those two good singing guys. Your brother Floyd wrote that originally as a tribute to your mother and father, did he mm -hmm. not? Yes, he did. In fact, I think he wrote this in about 86. Mm -hmm. And I've been singing the song ever since he wrote it because I thought it was such a great song. I've been trying to get it cut, trying to do something with it. So I guess the timing was perfect. Why... Ricky Van Shelton. I know Steve was producing him at the time. Was there were so many hunks out there to choose from right now. I mean, when you started, George Strait, Flint Black, Alan Jackson, all the way down the line, and, and Ricky Van Shelton. A lot of great voices, a lot of great guys to sing with. But he was the only one that was that big that was on my label. Okay. And they wanted to be someone that was on the label. So uh, it, it was great. I couldn't have been happier because I was a big fan of his. What's the chemistry like in the studio? We Ricky? were great because we were very, were very similar as people. We grew up uh, in a very similar uh, background with the, the church and the way that our music was done. So we talked the same language. We laughed at the same jokes about the same kinds of things. So we found that we could we could be very good friends if, if we had the time. We're both so busy, but we had a good time. He we was doing it. When I talked to him, he was just bowled over that you even asked him. And when he, he had never heard about the song, but when it was sent to him, he, it, he just slipped out. He loved it. Well, he, he is so good. And when Steve suggested it i just i flipped out myself i thought what a great idea and the fact that he was you know on cbs made it so much easier than having to work a deal and then to have it be not something that could be released so at least it was all in the hands of the right people and it was timing was perfect silver and gold your new single a collaboration with uh, carl perkins i did not write that you didn't write no, Silver uh, and Gold? Carl wrote that with his two sons. Oh, really? Now, I wish I had. If I found the song, or Carl, um, I went down to Jackson when we were writing together. We wrote Family off right. of the album right. together. We co-wrote right. that. Mm -hmm. But uh, Silver and Gold was a song that um, Carl had written shortly after I did uh, He's Alive. And he told me when we were at the amphitheater about oh, two years ago, he said, I wrote this song that I think you'll like. It's called Silver and Gold. And, of course, several months went by, and I went down to Jackson to visit with him and to write some songs with him and he said well you remember that song i told you about silver and gold i'm just gonna sing it to you so he did and i said i want it i love it so don't let nobody have it so i took it right back and recorded it and uh, so it worked out good vince gill also provided some nice background vocals on that along with some other friends in the album including patty lovelace and Emily harris your old friend yeah so i yeah. felt very fortunate to have all those great people on the album and Lori. Yeah, well, Laurie Morgan. One of the cuts too. That might be a new duet. Is that not true? A single maybe down the line? I think it probably will We're be. talking about Best Woman Wins. Yes. It's a song I wrote for us because I had written many songs about women. Jolene was uh, you know, a song I wrote about the other woman. And I, was, I even tried to figure out a way I could uh, rewrite Jolene to where you know, we could do it like that. And I thought, well, and all that stuff was in the paper and all over the news, you know, Ivana Trump and Donald Trump and Marla Maples, and there's always the, the younger, prettier woman and the thing that the older women dread the most. And so it seemed like a real good idea. So I wrote my part from Ivana's uh, stand, you know, standpoint, uh -huh. and Lori was singing Marla's part. So we thought, well, that'd be good. And we're like sisters. I thought we were a great combination. I've always liked Lori. I've always tried to promote her career. In fact, one time I had my manager, Sandy Gallon, Jim Moy managing her. They didn't do anything for us. And if she left, she got to be a star. Right. So I always ribbed Sandy and Jim about that. I said, well, <laughs> goes to show you who knows what around here. You've got to hang in a little <laughs> yeah. bit, right? Yeah, she sends her love to you because I saw her a couple of days ago. And she said, she told me this story about how uh, 
you met on the plane by accident. We're on the same mm -hmm. flight, and this how the whole idea generated. Yeah, we just thought we should sing together because everybody's always saying, "You and Lori look so much alike. You and Lori look like sisters." I sort of always felt responsible for her, and I do relate to her because she always reminded me of when I first came to Nashville. And we started out very similar on those early morning shows, right. Ralph Emery and right. Eddie Hill. Sure. So I started with Ralph right. and Eddie Hill, and she, I used to watch her a lot on Ralph's this, morning show. This is probably an album you're most proud of. It's the 51st in the Dolly Parton story career. That's got to be, you know, a little bit. Boy, that, that's an incredible record. It is. It just album. goes to show how old I really am. <laughs> well, we you, been in this well, when you started when you were eight and you recorded <laughs> eight albums a year, that doesn't take really much well, actually, time. Actually, I did start when I was 10. <laughs> That's true. Uh, that that first, my recording, the first my single. First recording, yeah. mm -hmm. But my first album was not until I was 18. What else in here kind of knocks you out? That's uh, very special. I love too. the song Family that we talked about with yeah, Carl because right. it is a song that I was inspired to start and have been working on. And, you know, Carl's family is very similar so mm -hmm. I, when we went down to write us I, I got this song I, I started and uh you know i like it and i think you'd really be able to help me so we got into it and really you know come up with some really nice lines together uh let me see what is my well rocking yours is a definite favorite um, i was gonna say Eagle when she flies right. is, i guess my favorite i was gonna say that that it's the uh you know and that uh, really sums up the whole idea of the album yeah, what it's all it, it about. does. It's it's a strong it's a strong song from a woman's point of view. It's the strength and the weakness or the gentleness of uh, of women, mm -hmm. and I think it's kind of a new um, song for women. I think, but men also can appreciate it. It's not like against the men. It's just about these the strength of these women. I also love the song "Here's to Your Wildest Dreams." That's one of my favorites to sing as a mm -hmm. singer. I think that's probably my best vocal. Mm -hmm. Splitting up with kind of a positive message. You mm -hmm. co-wrote that with Mac Davis, Yes, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Mac and I wrote a couple of things on my White Limousine album, so we realized right. that we were good together. Mm -hmm. So we wrote a couple of things, and this one made the album. Wildest Dreams, is, to me, sounds almost like I Will Always Love You Revisited. <laughs> it is that style of song yeah. of breaking it's up. It's the same bag. we'll be friends, and thank mm -hmm. God we're... You know, we can be friends, and I'll always, you know, love you and uh, wish you well, and here's to your wildest dreams. In the other area of your, your career these days, Dollywood has taken a very important part of your life because you, you oversee that personally of all of the activity that goes on in Dollywood. And there's some new things to talk about this year, particularly speaking about Eagle When She Flies, yeah. the Eagle Sanctuary, the Eagle Mountain Sanctuary, which you've set up, and the Avery and all the other good things. Well, there's a lot of wonderful things at Dollywood, and every year we try to do something great. Mm -hmm. And I had already written Eagle When She Flies, and I had already decided it was going to be the title of the album before we decided that we were going to have this Eagle Sanctuary mm -hmm. before that came to us. So we're very happy about that whole thing. I think that's very good for that part of the country. It seems to fit well there in the mountains, and it's the largest presentation of bald eagles in the United States, and we're in cahoots with the National uh, Foundation to preserve the uh, American bald eagle and um so it's it's something that uh, this is a nice touch and dollywood's doing great you know we're in our sixth year and we opened up the season with bob hope he came down big and we parade had, yeah the big parade but the big uh, grand opening and we did a, a, a of course our patriotic opening this year because of the eagles and we asked bob because he is kind of like mr eagle mr america right. and uh Closest thing to Uncle Sam, for as I'm concerned, I said I think I think Bob Hope has done more for this country than most of the presidents we've had, and really so he is. came down to Dollywood. And while we were there, not only do we have this place to uh, preserve the uh, bald eagle, 
most of the birds that we have for show are wounded and we're taking care of them. And we also have a clinic and a nursery where we take the eggs and we, uh, uh, you know, they, they hatch and then we release these new eagles back out into the wild. So we had two eggs hatch and one the day that Bob was there. So we named it Hope. You have to name it after some. We named it American Hope. So we're just going to call it the, the Eagle Hope. So he was real thrilled. I said, well, we just had an egg to hatch. We named it after you. He said, thank you, but I can lay my own eggs. <laughs> <laughs> Typical Bob Hope. Yeah. Never stuck for an answer. So we did it. We raised a lot of money for the Dollywood Foundation that weekend. Um, mm-hmm. So we've raised now with these shows and concerts that we do almost a, well, a million dollars, $100,000 wow. shy of a million for the foundation, which goes into the education fund and a lot of the medical things around East Tennessee. So we're very proud of that. Talking about different things in your life, motion pictures have always played a very important part of your life. You have three very important projects going on right now. You have an NBC made-for-television thing that you did with Gary Busey and also Ray Benson. Yes, Ray Benson and Sleep at the Wheel played, uh, I mean, they provided the music. Ray Benson had a a major part, the Mm -hmm. band leader, a lot of of fine acting, which is the first time he'd ever acted. He did very well. I was very happy and proud of him. And uh, Gary plays the part of uh, a promoter, manager that's Mm -hmm. uh, very abusive to women. He beats me up a lot. I look very bad. It's the most dramatic uh, acting that I've ever done, actually. And we, uh, we, the name of the band is Big T and the Texas Wheel, which Mm -hmm. is about uh, a Texas swing band singer. But I think the movie now is probably going to be called Wild Texas Wind. Oh. When will it be released? Uh, it's going to be out in fall. October, November, whenever their big sweeps week is. You know how they are on the networks. Whenever right. they need it the most. <laughs> to get good, good ratings. Me. Yeah, yeah. So that means they'll promote it a lot. You have another uh, motion picture you were talking about called Straight Talk, in which you play a talk show host? Yes. In fact, I'll probably draw from you, thinking about you on radio. Really? But anyway, it's really about a radio talk show psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. These, uh it's an accidental thing. This girl from Arkansas who's always given this good common sense advice. People always talk to her. She's often losing her jobs because she talks more than she works. So she gets fired from this job she had in Arkansas, given all this good advice. And so she moves to um, Chicago, and she accidentally she gets a job as a receptionist answering the phones in this radio station. She gets mistaken uh, for the this new psychiatrist woman uh, host that was to come in and uh, so I get on the air and these people start calling in and I can't, I don't know what's going on, but I start giving all this advice on the phone. All of a sudden it's this new approach to people's problems and I become like an overnight success. And uh, then I fall in love with, uh, a journalist and that's Jimmy, uh, James Wood, right. Woods. And, um, so I'm very excited about that whole project. You wrote some songs for that, didn't you? It's a, the, the character is not a singer. No. It's not a musical. The music is all oh. over. It's her thoughts. Well, what about a- Sister Sunshine? Did the songs you wrote for that? Or Yes, that's yeah. a total musical. That's right. a gospel, right. spiritual musical. But right. that will not take place right away. That'll mm-hmm. take me probably a good year to get that uh, together because it's such a big production as far as choreography and the big musical numbers. But that's, gonna, that's something I've been working on for years, and I'm probably more excited about that than... Anything. If that comes off the way I want it to, I think it'll be a spectacular thing. Oh, that's wonderful. And you're writing a lot of songs for I'm writing all the songs for that. I'm thinking about fanfare. It's this time of year, spring, beautiful temperatures. uh, And uh, how important are fans still to you at this point in time? Well, fans will always be important to any of us that have any sense or any appreciation for what we've accomplished. Because without the fans, I mean, we could just be spinning our wheels and writing our songs and keeping them in our 
uh, kitchens or bedrooms, but the fans play um, all parts in a, in a career, I feel. And they are very important. I don't get to fanfare as mm. much as a lot of the artists do. It's been many years since I really had the opportunity. But I always appreciate them. I always think of them, and I always kind of keep my eye on the news and stuff about mm. what's going on during the fanfare. Why do you think they like you so much? The fans? Mm. Well, I don't know. We'll ask some of them. Okay. <laughs> Let's go back in time. 1978, the year you won Entertainer of the Year at the Country Music Association. What did it do for you that year? What did it do for my career? What did it do for me personally? Both. Well, I think any time that you're um, on TV and you win an award like that, I think it can only help your career because I think the people really take you serious and they think you really must be uh, doing great so they pay a little closer attention and people love to also get in on what is the happening thing and what is is going on so I think that people it draws a lot of attention to you for me personally I think it just it just gives you more confidence mm-hmm. gave me it inspired me to do more and to do better and to see that all the hard work I've been doing through the years was paying off and it encouraged me you know to go on that I was right and that I should uh, continue to just do more important and better things for the public. You have been deluge with awards throughout your career. And if you really had to pick one, which is very meaningful to you from a personal standpoint, all throughout the years, which one would it be? Well, I think there's two. Um, one's sort of an award and one's sort of not. One mm-hmm. of the things most important to me was when I won the Songwriter of the Year, BMI um, yeah. Award. and to me, I've always taken my writing more serious than anything. So that, as far as the music, was the most important thing. The other thing is the statue that Sevier County paid for. The, the local citizens made up money and, and paid for the statue that they put in the courthouse yard. And it's really like uh, the greatest compliment that I've, I believe that I've been paid. Whenever you appear, whether it's Vegas, Atlantic City in concert at any of the different venues across the country now. What, what's the most requested song? I think that I'm more recognized for Coat of Many Colors mm-hmm. all through the years. That's been the one that people talk about the most and seem to kind of identify uh, me with. But since he's live, the song that was on the White Limousine album and was released as a single during the Easter season of that year, mm-hmm. That seemed, that's the one that gets the most response. Mm. I always get a standing ovation on that. People just, just cry when I sing it. I often do myself. It's a very spiritual, inspiring song. And Same reaction happened at the CMA Awards. Mm-hmm. It did, and it happens every night on stage. It's like I can't wait to sing it. I feel so fortunate that that's, that's the kind of song you the kind of songs you long to write and long to, to find and have several of them in your career, but... Uh, I've never had one like that. I've never had one to, to get. I didn't write it. It was mm. written um, by Don Francisco, right. a young Christian you, writer at right. the time. It was, it was really, I found it uh, years ago, hearing it on a radio station out in the middle of the desert. On One of the times my husband and I was driving back from California, and we just turned on the radio, and we heard it, and we both just had chill bumps. We had no idea who it was, so we stopped in this little dinky desert town and called the radio station to see who it was, and we got the name off of it, and I got back to Nashville looked it up and it was it was on word records there which was the gospel label anyhow i held on to that song for 12 10 or 12 years before i recorded it i knew it was special though in 83 probably the most successful duet ever with kenny rogers islands in the streams which went pop and country number one 
originally was intended as a solo for Kenny, was it not? I don't know. Probably. The way it came to me, Kenny was doing an album that was being produced by Barry Gibb right. of the Bee Gees. Right. And the Bee Gees had written that song. So it possibly was going to be a Kenny single. I just know that uh, Kenny called me one day. I was at my apartment here, and he said, I got a song uh, that I'd like you to sing on. Would you uh, Would you sing on it? I said, well, I have to think about it. Where do you want me and when? So I went immediately uh, to the recording studio. I mean, just within that hour. He said, well, can you come down here? I'm just down the street at Lion Share Studios. So I went down, and I heard it. I loved it. And just a few hours later, we walked away, and it was one of the biggest records of my whole career. That and 9 to 5 is the biggest selling single. I think they're both, 9 to 5, I think, sold like maybe 3 million. And I think the two that, platinum singles that in the career of country music outside of Harper Valley that uh, that beat all records was Islands and I think also 9, nine to 5. 5 yeah, yeah, it was a really big yeah. single, which the movie certainly That was that. written out of boredom, wasn't it, 9 what? to 5? <laughs> Weren't you on the set of the I movie? You had nothing set. to do. Yeah, but it wasn't. I wouldn't exactly say it was written out of boredom, but that's a good way of putting it. It actually was written out of like time in between. But it, it was a song that I knew I was writing a theme song for it. But I thought that it would be fun to actually just kind of write it on the set and just kind of get the feel that I got every day. So I would do, you know, do the same with these. These are nails, folks. Listening in, don't know what this sounds. I have these porcelain real nails, real ones. No, these are porcelain coated. That's why they make that noise. So I would just use these as my little percussion sounds, and I'd just stand around with the girls, and I'd be working nine to five. What a way to make a living! So it sort of sounded like a typewriter too. So I just kind of got creative with them. So I really do. Probably boredom is a good way of saying it. You're probably more right than I know. It's only because doing the movies. Well, because you sit around the way. Yeah. And I can't stand them sit around and wait on nothing or nobody that's what i don't like about doing movies let me throw a date at you april 24th 1974 that's don't mean nothing to me what did i do what'd you do uh doesn't ring a bell at all what was it again salinas kansas the last date with porter and dolly oh i was trying to forget oh that's (laughs) only The mind's oh, like, now right. I oh, now I remember. And I didn't want <laughs> no, to. <laughs> I really didn't know exactly when, when or how that. Um, mm-hmm. I would have known had I looked, yeah. but that, it was not. What was it like that night? Was it sad for you? Oh, I'm sure it was sad and scary and empty mm-hmm. and lonely and um, just all of those feelings because we'd been having a lot of hard times. But you were leaving time. something and going on to something new. Yes, I was. I was excited about that, but I couldn't get excited about it till it got away. Yeah. And, I, you know, I didn't want to make him sad. I didn't want to cause any trouble. But uh, by leaving, you always cause trouble, no matter um, if, if it's not, if you're not both in agreement on it. And so it was a sad time. And it was, uh, it was, it was a hard time for both of us. How has your songwriting as a writer, and you're so near and dear to it, how has it changed over the years? Well, I think... I've become a better writer because mm-hmm. I've written so much and I've lived so much and, and so long and I've been through so many things. But I think it's deeper. I think it's um, it's more quality. I think it's uh, got more, well, just, I guess, the depth more than any other thing. Mm. I'm thinking about 1975 now, that, that meeting you had. Do you remember that quote with Jerry Bradley when you were leaving RCA? And you felt it was at the time when you decided that there were other facets to your career you wanted to pursue. And uh, when had a quote to him when you were sitting on the couch or something. Is it true or not that you said when you learn to sell a female 
Elton John with big boobs and, you know, and all that stuff, <laughs> uh, you guys are going to start to make some money. Is that true? That sounds like something I'd say. <laughs> it wasn't you guys. It was you sons of bitches, actually, to <laughs> yeah, sell a no, female owned job with good. long hair and big <laughs> boobs. Then you guys are going to start to make some money. Did that happen? I'm sure that it did. Yeah. But they were very good to me at RCA. I was with them for many years. But when I did leave, uh, I felt like it was kind of like an old marriage. I had, mm. It was like we were going to take each other for granted. And besides that, I was the only person left at RCA that was there when I first went because I went through all those heads of you know departments and Ken Glancy to Melly Oberman sure, all everything. the way through every one of those. That's when I started. And so I didn't feel too bad about it. I, it was like the old bird was just flying the coop. <laughs> With all the demands on your life these days, with so many things going on in your career, how do you keep things in perspective? Well, I'm very solid spiritually. Mm -hmm. And as a human being, success has gone to my heart, not my head. And I try to use my head for important decisions and things. I have the freedom to work, which I'm very grateful, thankful for that. Um, but I just really feel very fortunate and very blessed that I've... Uh, been able to make a good living at what I love to do. And I hope to never quit. Mm. When we see you in person today, and everybody goes to see Dolly Parton, there's kind of an embodiment of a lot of influences, a lot of people in your career that made up what is Dolly Parton today. Little bits and snatches, I'm sure you have been wise enough to get from other people of what works and what doesn't work as an entertainer. True or not true? Oh, it is definitely true. I think all people that turn out to be good performers do learn from the greats. Like, I learned a lot watching Porter work when I was with him. I thought Porter mm -hmm. was a great entertainer. And he knew how to talk to the people, and he was good about knowing how to pace a show. He learned a lot from Red Foley. That was his idol mm -hmm. and as far as a showman. And uh, so you do pick up all kinds of bits and pieces. And if you're smart, you take all that knowledge and you remember it. Just I remember, forget exactly, you may know who said this. I just always remember that it was said. Uh, someone had said, when you, when you know you've done a great show, it says, make them laugh, make them cry, scare right. the hell out of them and go home. You know, it's like That's to have right. an element right. of surprise, exactly. like to scare them, uh, you know, to like... I think Tom T. Hall told me about that yeah, some person. great person. Some great man. I forget man. who said it. it. was one of our great... Well, like a red, right. probably one of those right. type right. people. But it wasn't red. But anyhow, I'm sure somebody will call in and tell you who that was. But <laughs> sure, I think... We'll... But I try to always think about that in my yeah. show. You know, make them laugh and make them cry. Startle them. You know, just, just a variety of emotions is what it really meant. And, and then get off. Don't wear them out. Leave them wanting more. Your fifth number one record was The Bargain Store, 1974, I think, around that time. Um, maybe I'm wrong. You on, know so on much more about my career than but I anyway, think I'd know. <laughs> Dolly, it was, the song itself had a lot of resistance from radio because of the lyric content. Um, the Bargain Store is open, come on in. People took it a different way. Much the same that people misunderstood when Conway recorded uh, uh, You've Never Been This Far Before. Yeah, but you know, I never understood that about the bargain store. I thought that was a very poetic song. It was not mm -hmm. in, implying sex mm -hmm. at all. It was just about the broken heart. You know, it's right. like about the life. You know, the bargain store is open, mm -hmm. come inside. Right. It was like, I may have just what you're looking for. If you don't mind the fact that all the merchandise is used. But with a little mending, it could be as good as new. 
Like take, for instance, this old broken heart. You know, it's like if you would just replace the missing parts, you might be surprised to find how good it really is. Take it and you never will be sorry that you did. See, to me, I mean, that was just about a broken life. Right. You know, like the bargain store is open. People just, didn't listen like enough. Come, and, come through re- all this junk and sort it out and you find some, some rare There's antique. some jewels in there. Yeah. You just got to dig for them, right? But you got to always know that as a writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you always go through What do you think is the biggest misconception about you that people have in their minds that isn't true? I have no idea. I think everything they think is true and everything they think is not true. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry to tell them I don't deny or or admit anything. Whose idea was it to do Love is Strange when you did the duet with Kenny? It was mine, Mm -hmm. but it didn't turn out to be as great as I thought it could be. I thought that it was a really great song. I loved it. We were talking about doing a duet album because I really think that Kenny and me, if we had the right songs, we could just really, um, you know, could have had a great duet album. Mm-hmm. But we were on different labels, going back to what we originally started talking about on the show. It's like if you're on separate labels and you're big artists, it's always difficult to do creative things. It has to get into more commercial stuff. Mm-hmm. But it was my idea, but it didn't turn out. It was a great record, sounding record, and very similar to the same you know, arrangement. Of all the songs you've done, you've had a lot of important people outside of country writers and yourself primarily writing a lot of your hits. A lot of pop writers, well-known pop writers, have contributed to Dolly Parton's career. Uh, Barry Mann and Cynthia Wilde with mm-hmm. Here You Come Again. I'll always be grateful to them. It's the biggest record I ever had. Great song. Biggest, uh, you know, that was the first big record I ever had. Nine to five sold more. But Billy Vera wrote one. Mm-hmm. Donna Summer wrote one. Uh, Carol Bear Sager wrote one. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you go to these people or did they come to you? Oh, we went to them because I, nobody knew me that well. I wasn't selling that kind of records. We, uh, with the Here You Come Again song, uh, Charles Koppelman and Gary Klein, who, who did produce, you know, that album, mm-hmm. uh, they brought the song Here You Come Again to me, and I loved it, and my manager loved it, and it just was was right. So then we started recording. Of course, Charles Koppelman really was responsible for finding most of the material like that that we did so that's he just brought them in and played them and i just picked the ones i love not knowing really who wrote them there's no more mountains to climb are there i mean of this is good as it gets are no, there no that's not it's this great it's more than i deserve i'm sure and i'm very happy and i feel very fortunate and very lucky but i wake up with a new dream every day and there are many mountains to climb well we'll watch you climb them darling okay we'll be right there well, i'll wave at you from the top most of them i hope <laughs> <laughs> darling good seeing you again good to Hollywood. see you too And that's our visit with the legendary Dolly Parton. Next week on Country Conversations, we'll enjoy the company of his Rocky Mountain Highness, John Denver. Lee Arnold here reminding you to stay safe and keep it country.